Welcome to the Time Has Come podcast. My name is Graham Wardle, and today is my solo cast. For those of you that don't know, a solo cast is just with me. So I'm going to be answering some of the questions that I got on my MeWe website page. It's like a Facebook clone for those of you who don't know. So we're going to be talking about COVID. We're going to be talking about season 14 of Heartland, a little bit about meditation and mental well-being, my photography, new projects, spirituality, and also I want to talk a little bit about the magic painting. So the time has come to start the solo cast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I wish you were all in front of me here in like a live studio audience so I could look at your faces and ask you how you were doing. But I'm just going to assume that you're doing well, that you're healthy and that you're happy and you got a roof over your head and food in your belly because that's the most important thing. If you can take care of yourself in those two respects, everything else is great. You know, you're alive. I just want to start out by saying how happy I am that you've joined me and I'm very grateful to be alive today (laughs) with everything that's going on in the world. Sometimes you just got to roll back and remember what's really important and be grateful for those simple things in life. So I'm very grateful today to be alive, to be sharing this podcast with you. And also, I'm very grateful for all the responses that you guys have given me on that new uh, Facebook clone website kind of thing. It's called MeWe. It's like a social media platform, but they don't sell your data and they don't invade your privacy. So that's why I like it. That's why I'm checking it out. But it's new, and uh, we'll see how it goes. It's a paid subscription, so you can pay or you can get a free tier as well. But I'm checking that out, so I want to thank you all for joining me there and following me on my MeWe page and asking me all the questions. I think it's about 300 comments now that I've got on the page, and it, it took me a while to read through them all, but I really appreciate it. So what I've done is I've kind of grouped all the questions into different categories, and I'll speak about each category as best I can to cover as many of the questions as I can. So I want to thank you all for reaching out to me there and leaving your questions. And in the future, there is a service that I'm looking into that will organize these questions for me. And you guys can upvote things if you're asking a question that's already been asked. It will show that question to you and then you can upvote it. I'll, I'll know the most popular questions. And because uh, somebody said, I hope Graham has a spreadsheet for all these questions. And I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so I hope this service will be something that uh, will make this a bit easier in the future. So the first thing I want to talk about is what's going on in the world with COVID. And I've shared a lot of my beliefs and thoughts and perspectives online. And I've got lots of positive feedback. And I've also got some feedback that is challenging me in terms of my responsibility to the people that follow me. And I just wanted to make a comment about that because I think deep down, it's most important that people are in integrity with themselves and that they're honest and that they can ask questions and they can present information and we can have an open and honest dialogue. I don't believe that asking questions or presenting different viewpoints is ever harmful. I believe that when you censor or you shame people for sharing ideas or perspectives, that creates a dynamic where people don't feel safe to speak their mind. And I think that is a far more dangerous world to live in than somebody who thinks that the earth is flat and they're sharing that online, which people do. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. If people want to explore that option, cool. I'll have a conversation with you about the earth being flat. I'm really curious as to why you believe that. (laughs) 
I don't think we should censor people or, or ban people or shame people for thinking that. I think it's, it's an interesting perspective. I don't believe it, but I'm open to having a conversation about it. And I hope that's how people uh, see me and see my perspectives as well. I don't want everyone to agree with me. I would rather people think for themselves. I would rather people ask questions for themselves and come to their own conclusions and be open to an honest and sincere dialogue with me if they choose. If they don't, that's cool too. So I just wanted to take a minute here and share with you a bit about how I've processed this whole virus outbreak, lockdowns, social distancing, mask wearing thing, all the different things that have been going on. It's been a lot, hey? And it's, it's constantly changing and new data comes out and new perspectives come out and new mandates. It's, it's almost overwhelming. It's been a lot to take in and a lot to digest. And at the end of the day, I've always kind of gone internal and paid attention to my intuition and to my gut and my heart. And how does this feel? How does this resonate? And with the lockdown with the, or the stay at home, the flatten the curve two weeks thing, I thought, yeah, sure. If this is what it takes, you know, sure, we'll do that. Well, I don't think anywhere in the world lasted two weeks and then everything went back to normal. I think everybody had that same, except a few countries, I think didn't lock down at all, but For the rest of the world, everybody is still in some semblance of this flatten the curve (laughs) perspective or intention of trying to get a handle on this virus. And I don't pretend to know all the details and all the science behind it, but I have looked into a few things and a few things that don't make sense to me. And that's why I ask questions. That's why I present different perspectives. And I think that's healthy. And I think we should be doing that because our world is changing. And it's not going back. I really wish it would. And a part of me hopes that if I just do enough of what they tell me, (laughs) that it will go back, that it will be back to normal and that we can all go back to living our lives the way it was before this. But what I've come to realize and what I can feel now in my bones when I get really honest with myself is that our world is not going back. We have crossed a threshold. There have been changes made in our society, in the way we live life. And we cannot go back to the way it was. It's just not going to happen. I wish it would, but it's not. It reminds me a lot of when 9-11 happened. It changed the world. And we didn't ever go back to the way it was before 9-11. 2020, this virus, it's the same thing, but it's a global thing. And the world is not going back to the way it was. So I think it's really important for us to all ask this question, what do we want life to be like now? How do we want to live? Because if we don't answer that question consciously and from our heart and what we're connected to, what we want to see, what we have a vision for in in our life, it is going to be shaped for us. It's going to be the lowest common denominator, so to speak. And regardless of the coronavirus, I think it's a positive question to ask yourself, what do you want to see your life become? What world do you want to live in? And what are you going to do to help create that? How are you going to show up? Those are some of the questions that I've been asking myself through this whole process. I've heard people say, health experts, you know, we're never going to shake hands again. And that got me really upset. I was very, very distraught with this idea that I wouldn't be able to shake hands. I wouldn't be able to hug my friends. I wouldn't be able to be around people the way I had in the past. And I'm not interested in living in a world where we are six feet apart from each other, where we can't hug each other, 
where we can't shake hands, where we can't be close to each other. And I know that at first it can seem like I'm closed-minded or I'm only thinking about myself in terms of what's happening in the world and these new measures that are being presented. But honestly, it's not about that at all. It's about what world we're going to leave for the next generation and how they're going to survive and how important it is to have human contact and to be touched. You know, a child that's born needs that human touch to survive. And we need human touch. That's a part of what it means to be human, to interact with other humans, to see their faces, to see their facial expressions. I'm a part Italian and I gesture with my hands a lot. And my friends know that I often will hit them, not out of anger or trying to hurt them. It's just I'm, I'm a very expressive person and I like to wrestle and I like to, you know, put my arm around you. I like to be interactive with you. That's who I am. And to restrict that and to restrain that is very, very, very difficult. And it's not a life that I want to live and it's not a world that I want to pass on to future generations. I think it's very important that we ask ourselves these really difficult questions about what is our world turning into and are we consciously choosing the world we want to create? And there's a lot of fear and uncertainty surrounding what this all means and the implications of this virus and the long-term effects of this virus. And I understand that. I understand that we need to take these questions seriously, just like we had to take the two weeks to flatten the, the curve seriously. But there is a big, big picture that I, I feel is being overlooked in terms of the effects long-term, not of the virus, but of these new measures, of these lockdowns, of these distancing rules. There's lots of stats out there that you can research for yourself and you can look into. But I don't think the conversation is being had of the social impact, of the mental and the spiritual and the emotional impact that these changes are having on people. So that's a conversation that I want to have. That's a conversation that I think needs to be had. And when we're not able to have conversations or ask questions about these types of topics, that concerns me. I think we should have conversations about these things, rational conversations about these things, and really tune into our hearts and go, what is this world going to be if we don't have this conversation, if we just go along with what we're told? I think it's really important. So that's what I wanted to say about what's going on in the world and how it's impacted me and my intentions behind sharing the information that I do and trying to have conversations the way I have them because if we don't, we're going to end up in a world and we're going to wake up one day and we're going to say, how did this hell happen? Very similar to how the two weeks to flatten the curve started and now look where we are. It's like time flies by and we don't even know what happened. Well, imagine that continual trajectory over the next five years. Can you imagine where we'd be if, if we continued on this trajectory? It's something to think about, and I think it's important to have that conversation. I also wanted to say a quick note about wearing masks. I believe that if someone wants to wear a mask, they should be able to wear a mask. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I'm not for mandating masks, and I'm not for putting people in jail or arresting people for not wearing masks. I understand that the intention is so that everybody is safe and you're doing it to protect others. While that intention is a good one, the science does not reflect that. And on the surface and a lot of the mainstream presentation of the science shows that they do help. If you look into the science, if you read a lot of the studies and over the years of the, the science that has been done on wearing masks, there is a different narrative that emerges. And unfortunately, it doesn't support what the mainstream media is presenting 
That is my perspective. That is from the research that I've done and the studies that I've looked at. And I'm not telling you that you should believe that. I'm just saying this is where I come from. So I, I choose not to wear a mask. It is not provincially mandated in the province of Canada that I'm currently living in. So I'm able to live my life without that. But I do support people if that is the choice that they make. I think everyone should have a free choice in this. I just don't support the mandates of masks. So that's what I wanted to say about everything that's going on in the world and update you guys a bit on my perspectives on that because I was getting a lot of questions online about my perspectives. So there you go. Now I want to talk a bit about meditation and how I meditate and how to handle distractions while you're meditating because a lot of people have reached out to me and asked, how do you meditate and how do you deal with your mind getting pulled in all these different directions? I've taken a few different meditation courses over the years and they've helped me in different ways and I've kind of combined them all into how I choose to meditate now. So the first question about how to deal with distractions I think is something that everybody deals with and they always will deal with. It's not something that you ever really get rid of. <laughs> it's actually part of the practice. It's bringing yourself back to the present moment, bringing yourself back to your mantra or your breath and training that muscle and relaxing your mind and slowing it down. You're going to have thoughts that come up. You're going to have stresses. You're going to have agitations or maybe it's a physical itch or <laughs> whatever. That's a part of the process. It's a part of it. It's like if you were to say, well, I like working out, but I don't like the fatigue or the, the strain on my muscles that I get. Well, that's, that's a part of it. That strain and that fatigue helps you to build a stronger muscle. So in a similar way, meditation is helping you to refine and concentrate your focus and to strengthen your focus. So those distractions are kind of like reps in the gym. They help you strengthen your focus. So one of the things that I've learned that's really helpful for me is not to beat myself up when I get distracted or when I'm feeling agitated. It's just to allow it, first of all, it's okay. <laughs> Give myself permission to be distracted. It's okay. I'm, I'm distracted right now. Sure. And as soon as I allow myself to be in that moment distracted or thinking about something, I relax. I relax and I bring my attention very gently, ever so gently, like the slowest I can almost, <laughs> back to my breath or back to the guided meditation that I'm listening to or back to my mantra. And the slower I go, the easier it is to remain focused and balanced and in this moment. Whereas earlier on when I would meditate, I uh, would try and snap back quickly as if the more time I spent focused on my breath and the less time I spent focused on distractions, I would get a gold star or I would somehow master this. <laughs> but it's not really about that at all. It's about the process in which you slow yourself down and how you come into the present moment. And that process is done gently and with a lot of care. And what comes of it is something beautiful. It's a resting place. It's a peace. It's a groundedness that then your whole day is birthed from your actions, your words, your conversations, your decisions. I can't tell you how many times I skip the morning meditation and then I go through my whole day <laughs> and then I end up making mistakes or I end up repeating work or doing things I didn't need to do because I was just trying to get stuff done. At the end of the day, I'm looking back and I go, you know what? That was kind of a waste. I kind of ran through this whole day trying to do all this stuff and it turned out to be for nothing because I can't use it or I repeated work I didn't need to do. So when I start my mornings with a good meditation, I get focused. And then where I put my attention throughout the day is so much more productive. And I avoid so many pitfalls. 
I posted on my Instagram a couple of days ago the scene from The Matrix where Neo realizes that he can dodge bullets. And Morpheus says to him, uh, no, Neo, when you're ready, you won't have to. And that kind of relates to me in the importance of meditation where when you're grounded, when you're connected, when you are in tune with your heart and you start your day in that place, you don't have to dodge the bullets. You don't have to dodge those things. You automatically dodge them without even thinking about it kind of like a superpower, so to speak, that when you become centered in that way, you can avoid so many things that you don't even know you're avoiding them because where you're placing your attention and how you are bringing yourself to the moment, it just (laughs) automatically avoids all those bullets, so to speak. So some advice I would give to people beginning meditation is to just take it easy, to be easy with yourself, to be gentle with yourself, And guided meditations are a great way to start. And there's many different apps out there that you can try that I've shared with people. One of my favorites is an app called Insight Timer. You can download that on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store thing. So my one piece of advice would be take it easy and don't beat yourself up when you get distracted. It's not about having a perfect meditation and always staying focused. It's about that process of bringing your attention back and how gently and lovingly you can do it. That is the training. That is how you build that focus. That is how you ground yourself and connect to a deeper love and peace that pervades all. I do also want to share with you a quick story about 10 days of meditation that I did in a row. It was a silent meditation retreat called Vipassana, and it was in Merritt, BC, and I did it years ago. And I had heard about it, and I thought, that's really crazy. Who's going to spend 10 days in silence? I can barely spend like 30 minutes (laughs) doing my meditations. I can't remember who told me about it, to be honest, but it was a challenge. And it was something that I thought, what's going to happen? Like, could I survive that? Like, yeah, I, (laughs) it was a challenge. So I went for it and I spent 10 days in this retreat center in Merritt, BC in Canada And you don't get to read books. You don't get to bring your cell phone. You don't get to write anything down. You're not supposed to look at people in the eyes. You're not supposed to exercise. You're not supposed to speak. (laughs) They have all the meals prepared for you there. So they have a a bell or something that they ring. I, I believe it was a gong, maybe some sort of instrument that they would play when they would signal a meal time. But I wanted to share this with you because of some of the things that came up for me that that I think are really beneficial and why I encourage people to meditate. Around day six of the 10-day silent meditation retreat, I started to get overconfident in understanding or thinking I understood what this was all about. And I started to slough off. I started to say, ah, I already get this. I know what this is about. I can kind of just coast now. And around day seven or eight, I realized, nope, no, I don't. And this is more reflective of my personality and a weakness that I have where I get overconfident and I think I've got this all down pat (laughs) and I start to coast. I start to just take it easy a bit. I share this with you because in meditation, what you'll find is that your patterns or your stuff will start to rise up. Things will come to the surface and you'll start to see things about your life that you didn't see before because you're giving yourself that time to be present. It's kind of like a a bubbling up of issues or, or patterns in your life. And when you get to see them, it then gives you the opportunity to make a decision and how you want to handle that and how you want to move forward. 
one of the most difficult things that bubbled up for me during that 10-day silent meditation retreat actually was after I got out. It was when it was done. <laughs> I was free. <laughs> and I was on the bus. I was, I was taking a Greyhound bus home. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it hurt so bad. And I wrote a poem about it actually in my book, Find Your Truth. And I'll share with you what it was. But first of all, I want to talk about the difference between feeling something as the truth in your head and knowing something is the truth in your being, in your bones. Feeling something is the truth in your head feels just like what I'm talking about. It's all in your head. But when it's in your bones, your head is fighting it. <laughs> That's how you know <laughs> it's, it's like in your being and it's in your bones. It's sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes your head will scream and fight it. It's like an understanding of the way things are. It's just like the laws of nature. It just is. And so on the bus ride home, what came up for me was the relationship that I was currently in, a long-term relationship that I had, it was over. And I was really upset about that. I was really upset about that because in my mind, I had not made that decision. It was not over. And I was so angry that I could be aware of this truth and I couldn't escape it. And my mind hadn't made that decision. I wanted to have that power. I wanted to have that final say. But I knew it in my being. And it made me so angry. But at the same time, what came from that after a great conversation with my older sister was that, hey, if you're not happy in this relationship, then you should leave because there's someone out there who would be happy with this person. And you are depriving, you are delaying that by staying safe or staying in this relationship or from your fear of hurting their feelings. You have now come to a place of knowing that this is not where you want to be. Deep in your soul, deep in your bones. So it's time to step up and make that known. It was very difficult for me, but I share that with you because it's very important to be honest with yourself. That's another one of my writings in my book. Be honest with yourself and the rest is easy. All fears are spiritual revelations hidden behind your efforts to control your world. And that's where it came from, was this revelation that I was afraid. I was trying to control my world. And when I let go and I trusted, I was free. I freed her. And I learned so much. And it was always there deep down, but so often we distract ourselves. And that's what I think meditation can really do is bring you closer to yourself and reveal things that need to be said, that need to be done, that you need to stop doing <laughs> on the reverse. So that's why I encourage meditation is it, it really brings you closer, brings you home. And meditation is different from prayer. And that's something I read a book on recently is the power of prayer. I grew up Catholic and praying at church and, and whatnot. But I read a book by Greg Braden and it's on prayer. I had never really thought about prayer other than, you know, you're praying to God or you're saying, you know, thanks before a meal. But one of the things that he touched on in the book on the power of prayer was the feeling that you generate when you pray. And I was like, what's, what, what are you talking about? You feel, you're supposed to feel things when you pray. <laughs> I never did. Okay. Maybe some of you out there listening, that's, that's normal for you. But for me, that was not a thing. And I'm not religious now, but I do believe in the power of prayer. And I wanted to kind of draw a distinction between meditation and prayer because they are slightly different. At least for me, they are. 
And meditation is about becoming quiet and still and being connected to uh, a deeper peace, a deeper love, a deeper connection to all that is. And for me, prayer is about cultivating inside me a feeling of appreciation, joy, enthusiasm, connecting to a vision of my future or of gratefulness or of appreciation, whether that vision be appreciation for my life, whether that vision be appreciation for something that's yet to come, whether that's healing for another person, but it's connecting my thoughts and my feelings. And I never knew that. (laughs) I never made that connection before. And it's a really important one. So I wanted to draw that distinction and also share that with you because I found it really powerful to when you pray or when you are envisioning your life in some way to connect your thoughts and your feelings together. The other really important part was act as if it's already happened. So if you're praying for health in your life or for a loved one, what does it feel like if that had already happened or if it was happening now? How would you feel if your health came back? How would you live? How would you walk if your loved one was healed and come from that place? Tune into that frequency, so to speak, like a radio dial. Tune into that, envision that, and live from that place and feel that feeling and bring that throughout your day. And I was like, this is great. I love this. (laughs) So I wanted to share that with you guys. And the last thing I wanted to say about meditation before we jump on is with everything that's going on in the world today, There's a lot of news and a lot of things that are changing and challenging issues that are arising. How do you sit down and meditate when all these things are going on? How do you slow yourself down when there's so much happening? And what I wanted to share with you is a visualization that Dr. Joe Dispenza gave in one of his workshops that I took. And he drew the outline of a person representing yourself. And he said, you will have thoughts about your work or your, your social media or your relationships or all these different things. And he drew all these arrows coming out, pointing out from this little figure, the person. And he said, all your energy is going out. And what you need to do is bring it back in and you fill yourself up. So every time you have these thoughts or these stresses or these things that are pulling your attention away, gently, like I was saying earlier, gently come back to your center, gently come back to your breath with a guided meditation and see that energy returning to you. And that was something that I was like, oh man, that's exactly what's going on when I feel burned out. I'm being pulled in so many different directions with my attention and things that are alarm bells and emergencies in life right now, especially right now, that I'm becoming drained. It's so hard to remain focused when you're being pulled in so many different directions. So by understanding what's happening with your attention and therefore your energy and bringing it back internally, you fill yourself up. You take care of yourself first. And that's why it's so important to begin with a meditation in the morning to fill yourself up first. And I'm telling myself this too, by the way, (laughs) because I forget (laughs) or I choose not to. (laughs) And I always pay for it. But this is something that I've learned over time is very helpful. So If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling stressed, understand that that's because your attention and your energy is being pulled in so many different directions. And if you don't take care of yourself first, if you don't bring that attention back and fill yourself up with love and care and awareness, then it's going to be very difficult to um, remain centered throughout your day when there's so much going on in the news and, and whatnot. 
So now I want to share with you a bit about my personal projects and photography because a lot of people ask me questions about photography. What camera do I use and how do I get a good picture and, and things like this. So I want to talk about photography and also share with you some of my uh, personal projects that are on the horizon that I'm excited about. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Photography for me has been something that I've always really enjoyed ever since my dad got a camera. I think I was like 18, 17, 18. And he brought a camera home and I started looking through the lens and going around taking photographs throughout my parents' house. And I loved it. I was like, this is amazing. And what I love about photography is you get to choose what you're going to focus on and then what that means to you. And it's very, very similar to the way our minds work. We get to choose what we focus on and what it means to us. And that's what I love about cameras because you have a frame. You can't take a picture of everything. I mean, you can take a picture of everything, but in one picture, you are choosing what's in the frame and what's outside the frame. And it's just like our minds. We get to choose what's in our frame and what's outside. The more we are conscious of what we're putting in our frame or what we're putting our attention on, the better we're going to feel because we're taking ownership of that. And so like a camera, you go around taking photographs of things you find interesting, things you find intriguing. And so that's always how I've taken pictures is I've had fun with it. And I've looked for things that intrigue me, that spark my, my interest or I'm inspired by. And I can't really put it into words a lot of the time. It's more about uh, like a feeling like you're playing and you're exploring and you're just kind of not even chasing something, but you're feeling something and you're going with it. And a lot of photographs don't work out. And some photographs, I'm like, I don't even know what this is. And then I bring it into the editing room and I start messing around with it. And again, I go through a similar process and I start playing with it. And then I find something and I'm like, oh, whoa, what was, what's that? A great example of this is on my Instagram. I have a photograph of, uh, like, there's like a triangle and there's like the ocean on four sides. It's kind of like this weird sort of image that I created. And it was, you know, I took a photograph off the back of a ferry uh, while I was traveling to Vancouver Island. And then I brought it into the editing room and I started messing with it. And when I say editing room, I mean an editing app on my phone. <laughs> but I started playing around with it and I just started exploring. And then it came out uh, with this image that's now posted on my Instagram. And I don't know what it means, <laughs> but it's just something that I love. And it's just something that felt right, you know. So that's what I want to encourage people when they're exploring photography. It, that's worked well for me is to explore what it feels like and just, you don't have to know where you're going with it. It's actually better if you don't, <laughs> I find, and just play. It's like, you know, when kids on the playground, they're not thinking about playing the best or trying to achieve a perfect play score. They're just playing to have fun and whatever is fun, they're chasing that and they're playing with it and they're interacting with it. And so I, I try and take the same approach to most of my work, but photography in general, that's that's how I look at taking photographs is you are exploring and having fun. Right now, I, I take most of my photographs on my cell phone because phones these days have great cameras, but I'm also realizing that I'd like to get back into taking photographs with an actual digital SLR camera. So I'm looking at new cameras to buy. As for personal projects that I'm working on, I have one that I'm really excited about with Lynette Alinda. We've been working on a project together she had a book that she wanted to record as an audiobook, And so I helped her with that. And we've been doing that now 
for I think about eight months through the whole start to finish of this process. It's been a long time, but it's been great and I've learned a ton and I'm going to have her on the podcast to talk about that book and what we've, what we've come up with and I'm excited to share that all with you. It's a really different type of audiobook because it's not your typical reading of a book. It's more that she has channeled this work in and we have worked together to kind of shape it into an experience and that's been really fun for me too because you know I like to make films and create stories and, and stuff like this so it's been fun for me to add music and sound effects and shape the experience in such a way that allows people to go on a, on a journey on a ride that's coming out soon and I'll have Lynette on the podcast and we'll share a bit more about that with you then I also have my second book coming out and that has been a combination of all the writing I've done since, well, since my last one came out. <laughs> so it's a lot of work, uh, but I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys as well. I'm hoping by the end of this year, I will have that done. Okay, here's my favorite topic. Let's talk about spirituality. I've had a lot of people ask me about my religious beliefs. Do I believe in God? And what does spirituality mean to me? So I'll start off by saying that I'm not religious now, as in I don't go to church or I don't subscribe to calling myself a, a Catholic or a Christian, but I was raised Catholic. I did go to church as a kid. My parents are very spiritual, and they brought me to church along with the rest of my family. <laughs> we would sit there, and, and we would kneel, and we'd sit, and we would kneel, and we would sit, and we'd stand, and then we'd sing, and that was fun. I enjoyed the singing part. That was always fun, although half the time I didn't really know the words. I would just kind of hum along <laughs> like a kid would do to what was going on. And I remember sitting back in the, the pew there at church and thinking to myself, when the priest was speaking, I don't really know what he's talking about, but I'm assuming it means be a good boy or like, you know, be a good person. <laughs> so anytime I went to church, it was like, okay, he's just telling a story about in some way, here's how to be a good person. So I don't really understand what he's talking about. I'll just remember to be a good person. So that was my experience with uh, church as a kid. And uh, now I'm not necessarily religious. I would consider myself more spiritual. I do believe in, in God or the divine or universal love that pervades everyone and everything and always has been and always will be. For those of you who have listened to my previous podcast, you'll know that my first experience with this cosmic love was something that I had in a float tank experience where I left my body and merged with this universal love. And it wasn't necessarily... Graham, but it was me, but it wasn't the idea of Graham, of this body and this personality, which is very difficult because all of my life I've thought I am Graham and I am this personality. So to exist beyond that was very confusing. It was like, well, where's Graham? I thought that's who I was. That has shaped so much of my spiritual perspective on life and how I see the world because I didn't know that I existed beyond this identity, beyond this body and beyond this personality. And when I experienced that, it was like, wait, there's something beyond this? How is that possible? And then how does Graham fit into all this? So that's shaped a lot of how I see my life and how I see spirituality. And that's also what gives me a lot of faith and courage when things get tough. I think back to that experience of connecting to that cosmic love I know it exists. I've been there. <laughs> Graham hasn't, but whatever I am beyond Graham and the personality is connected to all of that, and it is everywhere, and it is everything, so I can't unsee that now. So because I've been there, and I've always wanted to go back to it. Every time I get in the flow tank, I try and go back to it. <laughs> but 
because I know it's there and I've experienced it. Uh, that's what sort of supports me in this moment and also in challenging times as I think back to that and I go, I know it's there. I've been there. So that's what spirituality means to me is a personal connection to whatever is divine, whatever you define as God. That's what spirituality is to me. And if it's practiced through a certain meditation, a certain prayer, a certain gathering of people, singing certain songs, that's up to you. And I, I totally respect everybody's approach to their own spiritual life and how they want to do that. For me, I don't go to a church necessarily. I heard someone say once, and I love this saying, that their church was in the forest, in nature. And I like that because to me, it's quiet and it's alive and it's peaceful. And I love being connected to this world. So I like that. That's kind of my church. And now I'd like to share with you a spiritual experience that I had. And it comes with a bit of a preface. And the preface is that you need to be very careful in this, <laughs> in what I'm about to tell you, if you were ever to try and participate in something similar. Okay. So what happened was I was in New York City celebrating a birthday for one of my friends there. And we were sitting at dinner and one of his friends from out of state leaned over to me and said, uh, hey, we're going bowling. Do you want to take some of this weed gummy? So a weed gummy has THC in it. It's the active ingredient, psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. And so he said to me, do you want to try some of this weed gummy? And I said, oh, no, 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 thanks. I'm, I'm okay. I, I, uh, I'll pass. And he said, oh, well, here, you can just do half then. And I said, no, no, like, <laughs> I'm okay. Like, it, it'll be fine. It's okay. He says, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a whole one. He says, you can just do like a leg of this weed gummy. And uh, I thought, well, a leg, I mean, a leg is only a fourth of a, a full dose. And for those of you who don't know, I have experimented with uh, THC or marijuana before very infrequently, but every once in a while I will try it out. And so I thought, well, you know what, a quarter of a dose, that might be okay. What could that hurt? And uh, I thought, yeah, sure, I'll take a quarter of a leg. Well, what I didn't know, and this is where I'm my preface comes into play here, is you have to be very, very careful when it comes to taking anything <laughs> from strangers, from people that you don't really know, and uh, ingesting it, especially if it's something psychoactive. So uh, I will say that, and I will also say that any sort of psychoactive substance needs to be treated with great care and respect, and it's not for everybody, and we are just at a new place in our society where these substances are being introduced into our world, into our society. They're now, you know, legal in Canada. You have to be very careful. And my story is a great example of why you need to be very careful. But it also gave me a lot of insights that that's why I wanted to share with you. So I take this leg of this gummy, which ended up having 150 milligrams of THC. And for those of you who don't know, 10 milligrams is a really good dose and in the past, I had done maybe like five milligrams, and that was like a moderate one. So I'm thinking if he's giving me a quarter, you know, of the gummy, I'm thinking that's a quarter of a 10 milligram dose, so 2.5 milligrams of THC. I'm thinking that'll be fine. I probably won't even feel it. No, I had 150 milligrams. And for somebody who doesn't partake in this stuff often, it was too much for me. <laughs> so... Off we go to the uh, bowling alley, and I'm not going to draw out the whole story, but needless to say, I had a very challenging time. 
And what happened was my psyche opened up and so many different things in my life were revealing themselves to me very quickly. I'm somebody that when I see something about my life that needs to be changed, I go for it. And so with the psychoactive compound THC, it works with me personally. It doesn't work like this with everybody. But for me, it opens my life up and it shows me all the things that are going on in my life. And I want to figure all that stuff out. I want to move forward. I want to heal it. I want to let it go. I want to take action on it, whatever it is. And that part of my personality, when mixed with this psychoactive compound, it's like I'm going light speed and I can't slow it down and it gets too crazy. And it showed me some things about my life that I'm very grateful for. It was very painful and it was very difficult to handle, but I'm extremely grateful for what it taught me. And I don't take substances lightly. I use them as tools and I use them as something very sparingly and very cautiously now, <laughs> especially after this circumstance, this event, because if you don't know how to use them, you can hurt yourself. And that's why I think there is a very justified concern around these substances becoming mainstream, because if you're not careful, if you don't know what you're doing, you can harm yourself and you can scare yourself. And it's, it's not great, but if you know how to use it and you know how to get benefit from it, it is a great tool if used wisely, kind of like fire. Fire is a great tool but it can also cause a lot of damage. And if you don't know what you're doing, you could hurt yourself or kill yourself. So you have to be very, very careful. So I want to add that in there because I think it's important as another conversation to be had going forward that as more of these substances become legal, specifically in Canada I'm talking about, there needs to be more conversations about how to do this properly and how to handle these tools properly with proper oversight <laughs> and spiritual oversight as well. That's something that I feel is, is greatly lacking because we don't have a place in our culture that understands the impacts of these substances in the spiritual realm and how they heal and can also harm in the emotional realm if you're not careful. So I wanted to share that with you guys because it was a deep spiritual moment for me that I was shown so many things about my life that I was holding on to and that I needed to let go of. Self-doubt and insecurities that I had been holding on to, that in that moment, I was able to see that I could let them go. And I became physically ill and had to <laughs> relieve myself in a giant bucket that my friend had gave me because he brought me back to his house because I said, I need to go home. And he said, I'm going to take you home because you don't look well. <laughs> and so he took care of me. So thank you to my friend in New York, who's now in Florida for taking care of me, saving my life, because that could have been really bad if he did not take me home. In that moment when I was relieving myself in the bucket, I saw things leave my body and I felt things leave my body that um, I'm so grateful that they left. And it was very challenging because I was trying to relieve myself physically in the bucket, but all I had already put everything that was in my stomach in the bucket from dinner that night Nothing was coming out physically. Now it was just an energetic sort of purge. And that was very painful. But when I was finally done, I sat up and I was completely sober. It was all done. It was all over in like an instant. And that was very peculiar. But it's a good story because it demonstrates a few different points. This could have been done through meditation, I will say as well. <laughs> but it requires you to become very still and very gentle and take that time. Whereas in this circumstance, it was like a crash course, 
so to speak. I was, it was like a forced light speed because of the high dose that I did. I'm very lucky that I had good friends around me to support me through that and help me through that. But it taught me so many things about my life and the importance of letting go, the importance of embracing what's happening and taking the next step, having the courage to move forward and not cling to the past. That was a pretty big spiritual moment in my life. And I've had a few with psychoactive compounds or psychedelics that have impacted my life. And they've taught me a lot about being responsible. They've taught me a lot about the significance of these substances, also how they can be abused and how they need to be put in a position in our world today where we understand the significance of what they can do as a tool. And if we can harness them and use them properly, and they're not for everybody, but if we can harness them and use them properly uh, in, in the proper dosage as well, they can provide some tremendous benefit. I got a question on MeWe from someone who asked me, if I only had a short time left on earth, what would I do? She explained to me a story uh, about their son passing away at an early age, unfortunately, so I'm sorry to hear that. And she asked me, if I only had a short time left on earth, what would I do or what would I do differently? And I had a similar experience where I, I did think I only had a short time left on earth, where I thought I was sick. And I looked myself in the mirror and I thought to myself, hey man, if you only had a year left to live, is this the life you'd be living? Is this what you want to do? And needless to say, the time has come, this podcast, what's emerging, all these different things. It really came from that moment. That was the seed. That was the start of me saying, hey, what do you want your life to be about? And are you taking steps towards that? And the time has come is about that exact moment, what has the time come for in your life? What are you putting off? What are you putting on the shelf? What are you avoiding? What are you waiting for it to be perfect before you take that leap? And how can you take that step now? What can you do today? You don't have to do it all at once. Don't bite off more than you can chew, but what can you do today to take the next step? I don't know how long I have left to live. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I have to make the most of it. Some days are better than others. I'm very, very conscious of that now. And I'm very grateful for that experience. Uh, I'm okay. I'm not sick. But in that moment, I thought I might be. And I thought, if I was sick, if I am sick, and I only had a year left, what would I do? And I think it's a great question. We don't know how long we have. And it's so cliche to say. <laughs> I've heard so many people say it. <laughs> but sometimes it takes an experience in your own life. Maybe the, the loss of a loved one or a health scare to make you think, hey, if I only had a year left... Is this how I want my life to be? So thanks for that question. That's a good one. I also want to talk a bit about courage and integrity. The Courage to be Disliked is a great book. And I will link that in the show notes. I read that, I think, last year. And it's a great book. And integrity as well is very important to me. And it has become more important to me over the years. I've heard people talk about integrity. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, integrity is a good thing, you know dependable and reliable and be true to yourself. Sure. But I see now there is so much power in integrity. There's so much to get from integrity. It is to me, the spiritual gym to me, having integrity with yourself is the best feeling. It's like a hard day's work 
and crawling into bed and your body's just tired and sore, but you feel so good to relax. To me, integrity is the same thing. When you stand in integrity, you get beat up, you get attacked, you get people pushing against you, you get people trying to swipe your feet from underneath you. <laughs> but you know what? At the end of the day, you crawl into bed and spiritually, you feel so good. You feel so good. You can sleep so much easier at night. You're not worried. You're not tossing and turning. So integrity is so important. And a lot of people think it's, it's big things that shape your integrity. But I want to say that it's actually the little things. It's the little ways that you shave off your integrity in maybe small conversations, maybe, maybe even to yourself where you are denying yourself a truth or you're ignoring something or you're lying to yourself. It's those small ways that we sacrifice our integrity that add up, that become eventually toxic and create this anxiety in our lives. And the best way to regain your integrity is in those small ways with yourself first. Maybe it's being true to yourself and not lying to yourself. Maybe it's following through on your word in the small ways with yourself. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. But building your integrity up is a superpower. It is so worth it. It's challenging, but I can't tell you how beneficial and how liberating it is. And from that, for me, I feel, gives me even more strength to have the courage to be disliked, to be attacked to be <laughs> not liked by everybody as an actor you know you're you're constantly trying to shape yourself to be the character or to be palatable or to be presentable and you know in some respect i understand you want to be a kind person you want to be open you want to be loving you want to be inclusive but there's a line and when you start to sacrifice your integrity so that other people see you in a certain light that's dangerous and I'm guilty of that, you know, in my past, I've, I'm guilty of that. And I'm learning now how important it is to be true to myself first and foremost <laughs> while staying in my heart, while having empathy, while having compassion for others. But yet I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity so that other people aren't offended or aren't uncomfortable. I can't control that. And I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity to tiptoe around other people. Because once you start sleeping good at night, once you start getting into bed and you know that you stayed in integrity with yourself, you can't go back. So that's something that I feel is important. And I think is really important when it comes to dealing with uh, negative people or as they call them, haters, <laughs> naysayers. When you have integrity with yourself, a lot of those comments that you thought would rub you the wrong way in the past, now they don't even bother you. And before I really started building my integrity and really focusing on it and making those small decisions in my everyday, day-to-day -day life, before I started doing that, I was afraid of standing in integrity because of maybe ruffling some feathers or rocking the boat and what people might say. The fear of being disliked was so great that it would cause me to not want to stand in integrity because I might upset somebody. And it's this upward spiral that the more integrity you have, the more courage you have to stand in integrity. The more courage you have to stand in integrity, the more integrity you have. And it feeds itself. And it creates a better and better quality of life. And you regain so much of your power that you gave away because you were afraid. 
of what might happen if you stood in your power, if you stayed true to yourself. So that's what I wanted to say about integrity. Let's talk a bit about books because I love books. I didn't always love books. I didn't read a lot when I was in high school. I didn't read my first book till I was in college. Thank you, Claire, my sister. She's now in Shanghai. She gave me the first book that I ever read. It was by Malcolm Gladwell. It was called The Tipping Point. And I found that I just hadn't got material that I enjoyed. In high school, I was always reading books that were fiction, and I didn't enjoy fiction. I didn't enjoy it, and I couldn't choose the book I wanted to read. So I was forced to read these books, and I never got into them. And then I thought, well, I'm just not a reader. Well, there's a false belief system. It wasn't that I'm not a reader or I don't like reading. It was just I didn't have material that I really enjoyed to read. So I want to share with you my top three books, and I also want to talk a little bit about what they mean to me and why they're my favorites. So number one, I would say, is The Surrender Experiment from Michael Singer. It is a great book about not surrendering to life where you throw your hands up and you say, I'm not going to do anything. It's surrendering to life in in a really weird way that I never thought of before. It's a full commitment to what's in front of you, a full commitment to what life has brought to you that's put on your table and making the absolute best of it and then surrendering, letting go of any expectations or where you think it should go. And what Michael Singer says in the book and that I have now taken into my own life, and I'm paraphrasing now, is that life will give you more than you can ever take from life. So get out of the way and just do the work. Stop trying to control life because it will give you more than you can ever imagine. And it's, it's been so true for me. It's shaken me so many times where I'm like, I thought I wanted this. I thought this is the life I wanted or I thought this is the, the goal that I, I really, really wanted. And life presented something to me that I didn't even know I wanted. And it was far better. It was far better. I couldn't have known this is what I wanted. That has happened so many times in my life that it has just proven true and true and true again that life will give me far more than I could ever take from it and surprise me too. So, The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer is a brilliant book. I love it. He also wrote The Untethered Soul, and that's the book that came out first, but The Surrender Experiment is his second book. Number two on my list would be Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. The reason I love that book so much is the empowering message that we get to choose what things mean. A man that survived the Nazi concentration camps decided what this was going to mean. He chose the meaning of his life, of what this event was going to mean to him. And he got through it. And that was a horrific experience for him. And reading this book is so inspiring because it it causes you to reflect on your own life and go, I get to choose what this means. Nobody else. That's my power. Someone can come at me, call me names. Someone can come at me and judge me or the world can be, you know, going through what it is going through right now and everybody's saying this is what it means. And they're trying to tell you that that's what it should mean for you too. And it's not true. You get to decide what it means. You get to choose. I had a conversation with someone I care about very, very much. And she was of a different mindset. And she ultimately didn't believe that she got to decide what things meant. I realized in that moment 
that there is a ideology or there is a perspective or there is a way of looking at life where people don't believe that they have that power. They believe that other people have that power over them and therefore they need to control those people so that they are not targeted. And that surprised me. And I didn't know that this was not a common thing, that people didn't all understand that we have this power. No one can take it away from us. And so it was a good conversation, and I, I really recommend people check out Viktor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning, because it reveals this power. And I think in our world today, where there are a lot of conversations around what offends people and what people should be quote-unquote canceled for, it's really important that people understand that they get to choose what things mean and they have the power and no one can offend them unless they allow themselves to be offended, which is a hard concept <laughs> because when you get triggered or you get upset, your initial reaction is to attack the thing or the person or the event that caused that feeling inside of you. And Michael Singer talks about this in his Untethered Soul book as well, where you project and you don't realize that it's actually something going on within you and it's something that you need to heal within yourself. And you get to choose what it means. And I'm not talking about physical abuse. I'm talking about, you know, people calling you names or events happening in the world or situations, unexpected situations in your life, you break your leg or you lose a loved one. A lot of people will project meanings onto what that is for you. And they'll say, oh, you must feel this way or you must be feeling this way. But ultimately, we get to decide what things mean. And so that's the lesson that I took away from Man's Search for Meaning and that I think it's such an important lesson to learn. So that's why it's in my number two and the third book of my top three books that I want to share with you guys is The First and Last Freedom by Jiddu Krishnamurti. It was recommended to me actually by the owner of a Vietnamese restaurant in Calgary. I was sitting there having some food, some spring rolls, I think. And uh, he said to me, have you ever read this book? I said, no, he says, I think you'd like it because we had a conversation before. So I read that book. And that is actually where my tattoos come from. So upon reading that book, it got me so connected to the idea of who am I and the ideas of being authentic to myself. That's why I have two tattoos, one on each arm, be yourself and know yourself. So it actually came from that book. And so I would highly recommend that as well because I, I got a lot out of it and I'll probably read it again very soon. Okay, let's move along here. Let's get into Heartland Season 14 because I know you guys have all been waiting to hear. A lot of you are huge fans of Heartland. You love the show, and I am so grateful that you love the show. I have had such a great time being a part of the show, and I'm a part of Season 14. I've said this before, but I'm saying it again. I'm a part of Season 14. I'm actually driving out. I'm going to take a little road trip very soon to uh, start filming, so I'm going to take my car out there and... Uh, drive all the way to Calgary. It's going to be fun. I have a Tesla and I love my Tesla. I'm so grateful for it. And I have that feature where it can uh, drive itself. So it's a very enjoyable ride. You still have to pay attention, keep your hands on the wheel, but it is so beautiful. I love driving that car. So I'm going to have a great drive out to Calgary, stop in Canmore, get some natural spring water there. I love drinking the spring water in Canmore. And then I'm going to be in Calgary shooting. So yes, to answer your guys' question, yes, I'm going to be a part of season 14. I also want to share with you guys just a little bit about health practices. I know there's been so many questions that you guys have given me, and this is a long podcast, but I really wanted to cram as much in as I could so that you guys could get a lot out of it. And so I just want to cover really quickly here some of the things that I practice on a regular basis that I have found very helpful 
And I appreciate you guys as well because you share some of the things that you're doing as well on my website and on MeWe and on social media and all these different platforms. I love it. So please keep sharing that kind of stuff because I think it's great for other people too to see what you guys are doing and what's working for you. So I've been doing celery juice now for almost three years. I drink a big glass of celery juice every morning and I'm probably about five days a week now, you know, maybe one or two days I'll miss because I got to go buy more celery or, or whatnot. Something happens. But I've been drinking celery juice regularly for three years and it's done wonders for me. So you can look online and you can see what other people, how they're benefiting from this drinking of the celery juice. If you do want to try it, I'd say do it for at least, I want to say a month, but do it at least two weeks. Drink it every day in the morning on an empty stomach with nothing else. Then wait 20 minutes before you eat or drink or anything else. This is what Anthony William, the guy who came up with this celery juice thing, <laughs> this is what he recommends. You can check out his material online. He's on Instagram and I've posted a few of his recipes as well. I've got a lot of benefit out of it. And he claims to be able to speak with what he calls the spirit of compassion. And this is where he gets this information about all these different remedies and ways to heal. And I can't disprove it. I can't prove it. All I can say is it's worked for me. And that's all that really matters. It's not like he's got a monopoly on celery or eating fresh fruits and vegetables or any of that kind of stuff. So I don't see there being a ulterior motive from him on this. And I appreciate everything that he does. And most of what he does is free too. So it, it speaks to the intention of his material and his work that he really wants to get this out there and help people. So I really enjoy Anthony Williams material and his books. Uh, I have a bunch of them. So I'd recommend those to you guys as well. Another thing I wanted to share with you guys is a breathing technique uh, by a gentleman named Wim Hof. I met Wim Hof a couple of years ago now. He came to Vancouver and did a, a breath workshop and then you jump in an ice bath. And that was really fun. And uh, he's got a whole bunch of world records and he's done some crazy stuff with his cold exposure. But he teaches a breath technique that's fairly simple. And there's an app you can get if you look up the Wim Hof method on the App Store or the Google Play Store. And you can even Google him. He has a website too if you don't have a mobile device that you want to use. You can go on his website and learn the method for free. He's got other programs that you can pay for, but he gives the main method for free. And the benefits of it are a total oxygenation of your system. It's like a flush of oxygen through your whole body and it feels so good. It's a great way to start the day and it's a great way to give your organs the oxygen they need and to clear your mind too. Because I tell you, when you do these, these 30 breaths that he teaches you to do and then you breathe out and you hold your breath for as long as you can, that's safe. And then you take a breath in, hold for 15 seconds, and then you let it out. It just makes you feel great. You get this rush of endorphins. So that's a great practice that uh, I recommend people do and check out and try. Because again, he also has so many testimonials from people that have practiced his materials and practiced his technique, and they've healed themselves in so many different ways. So I'd recommend checking out Wim Hof as well. Let's talk about some magic, magic paintings and magic in general. I've uh, always had a fascination with magic. And when I was a kid, my mom would take us to the library, my brothers and sisters and I, and we would go to the library and she'd say, take out a book, you know, pick out a book to read. And I'd always go to the magic section because the magic books had tons of pictures in them. So it was very easy for me to read and follow along. So I would always study magic and I always found it really interesting that you could do something that would create this uh, feeling in other people of wonder and awe. And I loved that feeling of magic and surprising people. So I've always been fascinated with magic and this idea of magic. The magic painting question was something that came to me 
while I was sitting on set and just waiting around and it just kind of popped into my head. And I really appreciate all the answers that I got on MeWe from people responding to this question and sharing with me what their painting would look like, this magic painting where they could feel any feeling they wanted to feel. And it really inspired me. And I want to thank you all for sharing your responses on my MeWe page. It really uh, lights me up to know that other people are connecting with this question and thinking about it and tuning into it. I think it's really important that we all focus on what that means to us and how we cultivate that more in our life. For a lot of people, this is the feeling that is the most beautiful to them, that is the most inspiring to them. And we are often distracted and pushed in different directions. So remembering what it is that's most beautiful to us and tuning into that feeling on a regular basis, I think would be great. I got a question from William Borland, and he said, how would you expand on the following two phrases? What if and if only? And I thought that was a great question because when you start making movies, a lot of movies are started with that question. What if a giant Godzilla dinosaur <laughs> wreaked havoc on a city? So for me, finishing those two phrases, I would say, what if people tuned into that feeling more often? And if only people lived their life from the most beautiful place that they can imagine, we would have such a different world that we would live in. That's how I would answer that question, William. Thank you for that. That's always a great question to ask yourself. What if, and if only. I really appreciate you guys being here with me. I have some more guests lined up for October. I'm excited about, because of people's schedules and everything that's going on in the world, I don't want to say the names just yet because I've already had to postpone a few interviews because of changing schedules and because of what's going on in the world. So I appreciate you being here with me. This has been a lot of fun for me. I hope you've enjoyed this. And to end the podcast, I want to wish each and every one of you the courage and the strength and the love to overcome the challenges that we are all facing in the world today and that we can come together, we can have conversations, we can disagree, but ultimately we respect each other and we come together on what matters most. Thanks for joining me, everybody. I'll see you next time.